makes me feel like I'm a part of something bigger. My favorite business show. Hands down, the best B2B sales and marketing podcast. The ultimate resource for salespeople. George makes me want to conquer local. An authentic entertainer. Conquer Local with Vendasta. Here's George Leaf. Another week and another edition of the Conquer Local podcast. Thanks for joining us. My name is George Leith. This week, we are going to uh, go into the software business. We're going to bring in a VP of sales at a very successful software organization in the learning space. Docebo has become a Canadian tech success story as they um, started in Canada. They IPO'd on the TSX and then most recently had a second IPO on NASDAQ. Chris Botarenko is the VP of sales at Docebo. He's over 15 years of sales experience. We're, both of us are inside what's now called Pavilion, the former Revenue Collective, and uh, I'm really excited to have him on the show and learn some more about data-driven sales leadership and how Chris has doubled the size of the Docebo sales force during COVID. And we're going to get him to look inside his crystal ball and uh, tell us what he might see in the future and how they're using data to grow the organization and grow their revenue and more happy customers at Docebo every single day. Chris Botarenko, VP of Sales at Docebo, coming up next on the Conquer Local Podcast. Chris Botarenko joining us from the Docebo headquarters. Is that the headquarters or are we? No, you're working remote, aren't you? This is my second bedroom, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Docebo, Toronto, Lakefront. <laughs> well, it's great to have you on the show. And uh, Docebo is just, you guys are a rocket ship. Congratulations. I, I know a few folks that uh, are on your team, and I'm excited to have you on the show and learn more. But let's uh, first unpack, uh, Chris, can you give us the 101 on Chris Botarenko and uh, how you arrived there as the VP of sales at uh, Docebo? Yeah, for sure. I'm first sure. It's really, really great to be here. I'm grateful to be speaking with you. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, how did I get here? Uh, so about 15 years sales, sales leadership was introduced to my now boss, Alessio, uh, probably uh, a few years ago, kind of under the guise of, of helping me uh, from a mentorship perspective. And after a few conversations, kind of started thinking about running North American sales for him. At the time, Docebo had just filed its prospectus to IPO on the, on, the, on the TSX. I joined at a very interesting time, spent probably three months before the lockdown with COVID. Well, it, it is interesting. And when, as I was reading through, just doing some, uh, some of the research, I, of course, know about the story because you guys have done some legendary things there. But the one thing I'd love to unpack from you is uh, at this time, you've been there about a year and a half, but also during this time, you've doubled the size of the sales team. And, and uh, I'm, I'm in the middle of living that right now. It's hard. <laughs> How'd you do it? it? Yeah, it's especially hard when you're all of a sudden now forced to compete with companies in Silicon Valley, New York, and, and their respective budgets. And uh, you're, you're looking at a broader talent pool, right? Uh, so how we did it, I mean, we just doubled down on, uh, you know, the profiles of folks who are most successful at Docebo, uh, you know, picked our story to tell. And uh, we were very active in recruiting through network and through, uh, through uh, connections. Um, it, 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 was, it was a tough 
uh, tough job to, to do, but uh, yeah, we, we managed to get through and we're still growing today. Well, that's uh, incredible, and congratulations because it it is a challenge as the the competition heats up for for top talent. Um, I'd love to understand a little bit more about your career because you've been you know this whole fifteen years you've been in sales and sales leadership. How how have you seen things evolve over your time? Well, yeah, that's a great question. So to date myself, back when I first got into sales, there was absolutely no specialization in the concept of virtual or online selling was pretty non-existent. It was a day when I could call up the, uh, the EA for a CMO of a large healthcare or global healthcare organization, uh, introduce myself and ask to speak with that CMO. And oftentimes I would get through. So very different type of uh, selling scenario back then. Uh, but it was interesting, you know, from managing your own account mapping to prospecting, cold calling, managing your own deals, and then even performing what you consider now to be an account manager manager or a CX responsibility. So it's very unique back then. Um, I was lucky enough to land at a phenomenal organization uh, at the time called Vision Critical, now Alita CXM. Uh, but I spent about 10 years there. Um, it was an awesome learning experience. My career took off. Spent a lot of time in New York. Um, they actually relocated me there for about three and a half years. And then I came back to Toronto, friends, family, and uh, had a few awesome high growth startups. And then I landed at Docebo. Um, a lot changed in those 15 years. I remember um, probably about seven, eight years ago when that whole concept of, oh, there's this emerging tech stack that's going to help the sales organization sell to the right people. And, you know, that was right around the time ABM was kind of becoming popular and, you know, look at how far we've come and where we're at today. Well, it, it is interesting when you think about is there, oh, there's this new silver bullet and it's going to, we're going to hit all our numbers if we just do this one thing. I, you're a data-driven uh, sales leader. I don't know if you could be a sales leader today if you're not. Um, the the imposters will be called out pretty quick, but uh, let's let's talk about that a little bit around data and how you can use it to make the right decisions in leading a sales organization. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, a lot of the challenges I faced as a, a young leader or executive um, in through my career is how do I know I'm making the right decisions with confidence and, and where do I turn to for support and guidance, right? And I always, you know, lean back to data. My my, my background from an education standpoint is in finance. So um, it kind of makes sense for me where I like to live within an Excel sheet and, and look at data and numbers. To me, data is honestly the absolute truth. That combined with instinct, which certainly comes from experience, um, are, are to me the, the two key inputs to help make the right decision. And you know, throughout my career, like I mentioned, you know, I've always focused on well, what is the story in the data, and then what is the context around it that I'm also observing. I wonder if you've ever, I wanted to definitely ask you this question because based on your experience, do you ever find that maybe we got too much data or maybe we suffer sometimes as organizations from what's called analysis paralysis? Totally. I mean, every, every piece of technology that you can buy today in a, in a sales tech stack has a tab that shows data visualizations, insights, or some sort of, uh, um, access to that type of intel. So yeah, there's data everywhere. And I think that the key here is understanding, well, what is the right data to hone in on? Um, and, 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 and what is the right data to answer your specific questions or make the, the right decisions, right? 
I um, I noticed when we were putting together the show notes, you talk about input metrics and you talk about lagging measures and predictive data points. Do you have, uh, you know, can we talk about some examples of that where you're seeing, you know, in the last six months, I was looking at this number and, and it helped me to lead that towards that predictive model? Uh, yeah, for sure, George. So first off, I am very grateful that I have a phenomenal RevOps team and engine here at Docebo that I'm able to rely on to help me identify the right pieces of data and to, so first off, know that that data is accurate, right? So um, leveraging that team and working closely with them has allowed me to look both rear view and see, okay, what worked, what didn't work, but then look forward and say, well, what does next quarter or the quarter after that look like? How are we trending? So for me, um, there's different data that I look at to help to um, respond or, or make certain decisions or respond to certain questions I have outstanding. So there's a few here that I, you know, I've kind of pre preemptively identified that I'd love to be able to share and, and kind of take you all through. Um, if that sounds good to you. No, that's great. I'd love it. Awesome. Awesome. So, you know, I, I think that the first one, when you look at a sales organization and for Docebo, we've gone from roughly in terms of sellers, as I mentioned, we doubled, we went from about 20 to about 50 now, you know, you look at it, uh, the growth opportunity, how do you inform, how much can you grow and where can you hire? And for, for that, I look at what does my new seller and my uh, established seller attainment look like? And that's really just comparing what's been sold or signed against quota. Um, that also helps to inform how effective we are at enablement and onboarding when I do compare those two cohorts. So new sellers, we like to look at it less than 12 months in the business. And usually they're in some sort of a ramp period. Established sellers, any, any seller over 12 months in the business. Uh, so that's a big one is around attainment there. Um, the second one that I look at is around conversion rates. And that's conversion through the sales pipeline. So just to define that for, for those who maybe aren't familiar, uh, sales pipeline, everything from early stage all the way through to late stage. Early stage, usually you're looking at a discovery framework or you're looking at a needs identification and kind of like a solution fit. Whereas late stage in your sales pipeline, you're looking at dealing with procurement, um, negotiating final commercial terms and those kinds of things. So how successful you are at transitioning from each stage is your conversion rate. Um, and that helps to inform just how, you know, how effective we are as a sales team is our, is our, is our message resonating early on anyways. And then as we go later on, it's how, how high of a quality is our, is our solution that we're proposing is our pricing in line with market or with budget. Um, but those are like really big considerations, you know, obviously leads and opportunities, do cost money. So we want to make sure that we're converting at a high rate. Um, the second component of that is, you know, the one that most, most folks look at is, is win rate. Uh, so win rate defined as, you know, when you first accept that opportunity for marketing as an MQL, for example, or marketing qual market qualified lead to when it signs. And, and, and that can really help to inform a lot as well too. I noticed that in your narrative from, and great answers, by the way, I noticed in your narrative, you talked about, is the message resonating? Um, how, how important is that talk track or the, the story that's being told around the product in, in your eyes to affecting that win rate? So I think it's big, right? Um, so how effective that story is first off early in that sales funnel is really how many inbound leads or how many leads or opportunities are you attracting or bringing into your pipeline. 
that's a big one. And then you're looking at it. Are you attracting the right type of opportunities where you're seeing a strong value proposition fit? Um, we call that ICP. ICP. Uh, but our ability to have that strong story resonate within our ICP, which is a defined customer um, profile that we believe we deliver the most value to, um, that means that we're, gonna, we're going to be able to convert at a very high rate. I, uh, I already know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask the question for our audience. How important is your, your sales intelligence tools to help you scale across those 50 reps? Extremely important. <laughs> uh, I mean, early stage, you can, you can really get a good grasp of a, of a handful of sellers. Uh, but as you grow, um, it's very important to have that. And what you end up starting to do is you start to build an engine or I call it like a well-oiled engine where you can look at a seller's performance or the performance of your pipeline or a team's pipeline and get a good sense of, is there something wonky here? Is there something not quite right? Or is it performing at a very high level? Um, so that's very important. The other part too, which um, is outside of data, but is making sure that your ratios are right. Um, you know, we, we try to employ here at Docebo uh, between six to eight sellers aligned to every manager. That allows us to look at uh, and support each seller properly, look at the data and make sure that we're performing at a high level, but then also to coach and, and, and support that seller as they're as they're, you know, growing their career here at Docebo as well. So if we were to look under your, under your tech stack, um, what, what are you running uh, as a tech stack for, you know, CRM, sales intelligence? Great question. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I think like most folks at the core of it, we're running Salesforce as our CRM. Um, it's been a phenomenal tool for us to really centralize and bring together a single source of truth um, tied into that, and, and I've always said, like, hey, look, if it can't really plug into Salesforce, um, we can't really use it. So right. uh, we also have additional tech stack, like uh, um, Outreach, for example, Dong. Uh, we're looking at some other, uh, you're looking at some other interesting tools like Sendoso. Um, but there's quite a lot there that we leverage. And um, I'll be honest, when I first joined Docebo, you know, I was speaking with, with the team. I said, you know, wouldn't it be so awesome if we had all of these tools? And um, sure enough, um, we already, already either had those tools or we were investing or evaluating those tools. So there's a lot there. And at the end of the day, that's allowed us to really grow and uh, scale quite a bit. I wanted to uh, interrogate the one thing you said there and just really call it out. It all has to work together, though. And, yeah, and is that an efficiency thing or is that a, like, it, if it doesn't work all together, what, what, what's the alternative if it doesn't all work together? Yeah. So, I mean, the alternative is you're really stuck and you're going to treadmill quite a bit. The key to it all working together, all plugging together, actually, for me, it goes back to data. Uh, it, it improves the data accuracy and reliability. So, you know, what's really going on. It's really difficult if you're having to pull um, visualizations or dashboards out of Salesforce, Outreach, Gong, as well as Looker, and you're looking at all these different dashboards, and the, if the data looks a little bit different across those, um, it can be really quite challenging. Um, the other part of it, too, which is, is really unique, is we're only looking at it, George, through the lens of the internal side of the team. It actually provides a superior customer experience or journey if you have your tech stack all synced up. It really makes it easy for a prospective customer to evaluate you, make the right decision to invest in you as a vendor. 
It, it really comes down. I, I think that some people are myopically focused on my seller logging into one place, but it really comes down to a better experience for the customer if that tech stack is actually working correctly. Exactly, exactly. I mean, 95%, there's a quote that uh, our, our global head of enablement, Vanessa, is sharing is uh, with me the other day is like 95% of what the customer remembers is, is how you made them feel. It's not the steps, it's not the features or functionality. So if you have a really positive experience evaluating a vendor, you're very likely to go with that vendor. How, uh, how often do you find yourself fighting against some fake news? Uh, inside the organization where, because we can draw our own conclusion from data. Do you, how, how often are you defending, making sure that it's the real story and not a fake story? Well, I think honestly, everybody within an organization from an individual contributor or a new seller who has just joined the business to tenured leadership or sellers, um, they're entitled to have their own opinion and perspective of things. It is our job to arm management and leadership with data and with the tools to support a healthy discussion. And whether that discussion is to support an opinion or perspective, which turns out to be true, or to you know demystify it, or uh, you know, we have a Mythbusters uh, section of our, our, our monthly all hands section, is you know, it's how do we educate these individuals or share more insight with them so that in fact, it, it might be a myth or it might be a misconception. Well, I love that. Mythbusters. Got to get that in all our, our all hands. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, I've uh, had the privilege over the last four years on this show to interview, interview a lot of sales leaders. And what I find is one common thread, if you've been doing this for a while and you're successful, there's usually a lot of learning and a lot of networking that's gone on in behind, behind the scenes. And I, a little birdie, told me that you are, uh, you're always reading and you're always networking. Can you give us some, some tips on some of the things that you're doing to, to uh, be in those loops? Yes, absolutely. Um, so you know, to peel it back a little bit more, you know, when you look at growing your career, how do you make the right decisions and know you're making the right decisions with confidence? Data is a big part of it. But the other part of it is, look, any challenge that myself or anyone else as a sales leader encounters objection or a hurdle or a strategic task, someone else has most likely already um, successfully um, gotten over that or successfully accomplished um, the task at hand. So I think it's really important to immerse yourself in communities and networks and to meet all the right, right folks. You know, we were just literally speaking about, um, before going live here about one of the organizations that I'm a member of, uh, Pavilion, which has been very valuable, uh, for me. Um, and not only networking, but also understanding around strategy, strategic initiatives, how to hire the right people. And, and there's a lot of other elements there. So Pavilion's been great. Um, there's a few others like Modern Sales Pros is a great network as well too. But yeah, networking and build, you know, belonging to communities of like-minded individuals who are going through the same um, challenges, but also have the same opportunities to take advantage of. No, I've, I'm also a member of that and I find it to be enormously valuable. I, you know, I was explaining it to a colleague the other day. It's as simple as going in a Slack channel and asking a question. I have this problem right now and I'm thinking about ways to solve it and you get 30 people that are dealing with the same thing or have dealt with it or are considering it and, and you get either validation or you get suggestions. It's, it's a pretty powerful tool to belong to a community. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, I have Slack's awesome. Slack's actually, I forgot to mention, another tool that we use for internal communications here at Docebo. 
but there's a lot of other elements too there. Um, I'm big on continuous learning. Um, I'm big on reading. As I mentioned, I'm reading Trailblazer right now and probably for the fifth or sixth time, The Sales Boss, which for any newer experienced uh, leader is just a phenomenal book and a great reminder of some of the key elements to build into your, your leadership strategy. Uh, but from a continuous learning perspective, uh, you know, I just actually completed the CRO school with Pavilion. Um, that's been really, uh, really beneficial. Again, like we talked about where I started, you know, almost more than 15 years ago and, and how selling has evolved and especially going through the pandemic here, there's a lot of new ground being broken and, and the, 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 the cycle of selling virtually and inside sales, but also, um, you know, um, dealing with new technology and leveraging that. Um, I, I mean, we're constantly growing. So I, I think it's a, a huge opportunity there that, you know, you can leverage communities, networks, and other programs to, to stay sharp. If we were to uh, live a, a day in the life of Chris Botarenko at, at Decebo and you're talking to the sales team, maybe a sales all hands, what's, what's some advice that you're giving uh, sellers and sales leadership right now? Um, as they, you know, we deal with this, what they call the new normal. For sure. So I think there's a, to add some context and I think it's, sort of, we're, we're midday here. This is my ninth meeting of the day. So to live a day in the life of myself, you're on zoom quite, quite often. And, uh, zoom is a phenomenal platform. It's really helped us get through this pandemic, but you know, the all hands, the all, all sales that we do on a monthly basis, a lot of it is really be curious, stay open-minded as a seller. Um, as a leader, do the same thing, right? Leaders that come in and, and think they know everything and, and want to impart their wisdom without really understanding the landscape or the space um, or the organization, um, that's a good way to set yourself up for failure. So my, 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 my advice is, Go find your data, go speak with your team, go speak with your peers and really understand what's going on. Get a picture and get a story of the organization, the sales engine, like we talked about. Um, that, that's, that's, you know, what I rely on anyways. What do you think if you were to look in the, in your crystal ball and I, you know, all good revenue leaders have a crystal ball. What, what do you think is going to happen in the next uh, 24 months as we continue to, to evolve in our organizations and, and is selling evolves because we had a big evolution during uh, COVID. I'd love to understand what you're looking at in your crystal ball, Chris. For sure. So I'd say there's three things, George. Um, the first one is really looking at the health of your sales team or the culture of your sales team. Um, as things are slowly starting to open up more here, we're starting to see folks, um, you know, they call it the great resignation. You're starting to see folks looking for their next career step. And if as an organization, you're not providing that, or you're not providing that growth ability, you are going to lose folks. Um, and so I think that's one of the things you're going to see a lot of change within organizations where star performers, managers are moving and they're looking to take the next step in their career. Um, so as a leader, you're going to see a lot of folks doubling down on compensation, running internal audits. Are we paying at market or better? Are we retaining our top talent with, with you know, compelling compensation programs? Uh, so that's a big one, I think. I think the other one is tied to that is uh, career development and progress. Are we providing opportunities to coach and grow um, these, these stellar or these high performers? So that's the first one. So any tools or any organizations that are within a within the business that can support that, I think you're going to see a lot of um, a lot of focus there. 
Um, the second one is the, I, I don't think it's the return to normal, but it's the return to um, normal as a sense of generating opportunities and lead sourcing. So how do you get back into the swing of healthy and responsible events, conferences, moving, moving them from virtual to in-person? And how do you get back into the swing of things? So I'll give you an example. Um, we've doubled in size through COVID. Um, more than half of my sales organization hasn't been with Docebo through a conference or uh, an event experience. And we're actually just starting to promote our Docebo Inspire uh, customer conference. So it's getting folks um, back into the groove. How do we run a conference? How do we do it on site or in person and be very successful there? So I think that you're going to look at an increased focus there. Um, the third part of it is um, getting back to the data side, and I call it the unit economics. It's your average sales cycle, your average deal size, your attachment rates of products. Uh, it's making sure those are all holding, if not improving, as you're going back to uh, the, the new normal and folks are starting to come into office and so on. I think looking at that, so tools like a Clary, um, even Looker data visualization there, um, you're going to see a lot of sales leaders doubling down on that to make sure the teams are still performing at a high level as we're getting back to the normal. Well, some great uh, insights from your crystal ball as we see sales evolve in the coming years. And Chris, I really appreciate uh, being uh, meeting number nine today on your very busy schedule and uh, giving us some of those learnings. And congratulations on all the success that you and your colleagues have had at uh, Decebo. It's definitely a, a success story that uh, that we look to and learn from. And uh, you guys should be very proud of what you're, you've built there. George, thank you. I really appreciate it. Grateful to be on and I appreciate your time too. So Chris's uh, sales leader is the data person and uh, you know he prides himself on that but I think that there's more to it than j just that as you've heard me say a number of times that don't I don't need a lot of data to know my wife's mad at me but it's uh, he really honed in on the right data and when you build out a tech stack and you can take this if you've got 50 sellers or you can take it if it's just you and you're running your own uh, solopreneur organization having everything in one place so it all talks to each other is paramount. And then that gives you the ability to look at the data over a period of time and have context on that. Because what the data allows you to do is to make data-driven decisions and know what to change or what to adjust to get a better outcome. A lot of talk about leading indicators, lagging indicators, win rates. Again, all of these data points go into the day-to-day -day of Chris Botarenko and his leadership team on how they make those data-driven decisions. So we, you know, we definitely need to know what the numbers are and know what our levers might be to improve the performance that we have. And I don't think this is something that we just need to know to run a sales organization. I think it's the same message that we have to give to our customers when we prescribe a solution. We say, here are the data points that we're going to be watching, and then we're going to show you how this thing is performed. That is what we've been talking about around insights-based selling, 
showing them what good might look like, showing them where the gaps are, and then being able to show proof performance down the road as you continue to evolve the customer. So Chris lives that as the leader of a, a larger sales organization, but there's also learnings in there for us if we're even just dealing with one of our customers and how we can utilize that data. I found it interesting that, you know, there's really two paths here, data-driven sales leader. There's a lot of takeaways from what Chris was discussing and his learnings in running and building the Docebo sales organization. But then he talks about, you know, the communities and where he goes for inspiration or learnings or mentorship. And that constant learning is a theme that I hear from any top sales leader. They don't have all the answers and they're the first to admit it. And they actively seek organizations, communities, content, thought leadership all the time. They're always looking. If you go to the browser history, you're going to find searches for this topic or searches for that topic, usually mapping back to a challenge that they have. So I love the fact that Chris talked a lot about his mastermind groups that he belongs to, the communities that he is a part of, the networking that he makes just part of his daily habits so that he can stay on top and really fulfill that goal of being a lifelong learner. Always appreciate getting somebody that is doing it on a day-to-day basis at the level that uh, Chris Botarenko is doing it inside Chebo and love talking to colleagues that uh, you know have a lot of the similar uh, challenges that I have on a day-to-day basis because it, it never ceases to amaze me that I learn something on every one of these episodes and speaking to those folks. So thanks to Chris for taking some time out of his day to teach us today here on this episode of the Conquer Local podcast. My name is George Leith. Thanks for giving us some of your time. I'll see you when I see you. You've been listening to the Conquer Local Podcast presented by Vendasta. Guest discovery by Jacob Soley. Marketing by Rory Lawford and Nicole Lozon. Produced by Brett Clarenbach. Executive producers Brendan King, George Leith and Colleen McGrath. Recorded at Sound Lounge by T-Bone. <laughs>